independent branded stores were not common. It was a type of idea that was a bit revolutionary at the time. My father and grandfather, they were partners in business. But when they sat together and said, okay, how much are we giving and who are we giving it to? That's where I saw happiness in them. And that stuck with me. Knowledge, when you start sharing it, it multiplies by itself. Because what you've given is like a seed that someone else can, can actually water and grow. Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. Together, we have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how social impact can exist in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly. We hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of social impact for you and feeling inspired by the potential to do good. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Alan Shetrit. Alan is the co-founder and chairman of LabConnect a centralized laboratory services provider. He is also the managing partner of the Knowledge Pledge, a nonprofit encouraging purpose-driven leaders to share their time and expertise with social entrepreneurs. Elon was previously the CEO of Hugo Boss, founder of First Regional Telecom, a director of Silver Diner Restaurant Group, and has held numerous positions at financial services and advisory firms. Welcome, Alan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Delighted to be here. It is a pleasure. I want to go back to 1987 when you launched the first retail store for Hugo Boss in the world. Uh, I don't mean to take you too far back in time, but I think really interesting that this was part of your career. Our listeners probably know Hugo Boss as one of the most well-known brands for luxury menswear. How did you find yourself in the fashion industry and really what inspired you to be involved with Hugo Boss and even launch? a retail store. Oh, that takes us back uh, uh, back some time. But in 1985 or so, I opened a retail store for with high-end brands, European brands. And we had bought the Hugo Boss brand for the store. We're a multi-label store. You know, in, in Paris at the fair, we bought that brand for the store. And we had amazing computer systems at the time, which I think today they're still probably very relevant. The systems well, after we received the Hugo Boss line, we're telling us that we were selling at a clip faster than our inventory purchases. So therefore, the this was a recommendation kind of based uh, software. And it was suggesting that I buy roughly about 10 times more or something like that for the next season. So as opposed to just placing an order for more inventory without just by just increasing my orders, I decided to reach out to the owners of Hugo Boss by sending him a telex at the time to say, I'd like to have a discussion around the, the you know, a Hugo Boss retail, freestanding retail store. The owner, Jochen Holy, suggested that we met in, meet in Paris. We did soon after. And uh, there I came to, you know, I, I talked about this idea and his response was, Alain, it will never work. It was a type of idea that was a bit revolutionary at the time. Independent branded stores were not common. There were a few on Madison Avenue for sure, but they were not as we see them today with mono brand stores. So I did my convincing little song and dance. 
they agreed. They decided, they told me that they didn't have all the accoutrements. They didn't have shirts and ties and things like that. They made suits and jackets. Basically, I helped them create the shirt line and, and the tie line in order to accommodate my store. And we launched the first store in in, in Washington, D.C., in Georgetown. And uh, when they, the Yohono came with these PR folks and all that to the opening, it was pretty amazing. Every, a lot of outlets in the apparel business wrote about it. And then they were bombarded by requests to open more stores when they didn't have a strategy for that. So they put it on hold for several years, but that was how, how it, it all came about. That was a huge innovation. And I personally love Hugo Boss. And a lot of people don't know that's a German company. That's a pretty amazing company with so much going on now. And to think that you were an innovator on that retail side is pretty impressive. Well, you know, they, they, they were in a pretty interesting company on this and the, the, their knowledge and the way they approach things was, I remember I was having dinners with them and so forth around the we, we traveled together and we did a bunch of things. They were great golf, golfers, they supported golf. So they invited me to golf tournaments and things like that. So I'd be with them quite a bit. And I remember things like, we are not a designer brand. We are, we're, we're a brand. We're not designers. They didn't want to be compared to our money and they didn't want to be compared to Versace or the people like that. They were a, they considered themselves more of a brand than a designer. And that kind of took away the edge of trying to be extremely you know, innovative. They only wanted to be a certain level of quality consistent at the certain price points. And they, they were really good at maintaining that. And their vision of supporting sports were pretty amazing. So they were behind some of the top golfers and, and race car drivers and, and like that. So that's how they grew their brand. And I think they're, of course, a multi-billion dollar company now. But After fashion and retail, you went on to, to found a telecommunications business and worked in the restaurant industry, financial services, and then you started focusing on healthcare. Have you always felt like an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think that's and that's how I would uh, qualify myself. I always created my own opportunities, so I don't think I've ever worked for anyone. And when, when you refer to the restaurant group, I was on the board there, so I don't consider that I worked there. But the, the but the telecom is an initiative that I just started. Given that there was a the Telecom Act of '96 was passed, I thought that there would be opportunities, and I put a team together and raised the capital and created something that was pretty interesting. I thought it was a great company. The laboratory services company was also at the time when when that idea came about. I was a, doing some investment banking work post the telecom company in that my clients were in the healthcare sector. And that was interesting. I didn't know much about that. But I started understanding that 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 field and, and the players. And, and, and that led me to launch the LabConnect company that still exists that we, we sold about three years ago now to a private equity group. So I guess the common denominator is like I'm unemployable. So I have to create. <laughs> That's like me. I always say I've never had an honest job in my life. <laughs> 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 I'm just curious. I mean, to me, when I read Lab Connect now and I think of a laboratory services business, I see it as a part of the, you know, COVID solution of testing. Has Lab Connect been involved at all in the COVID-19 response or is that not a part of, of the business? No, we've been uh, we've been uh, solicited by our clients and new clients to uh, help them develop new drugs. We had a dip in March, April, right after COVID. So uh, patient recruitment was not uh, was not as constant. And so, you know, d- revenues dropped for a couple of months. And then it came, the bookings came back very strong in the following months where we've been invited to, to bid on several big projects and we have, and we've been awarded quite a few. So I, I would say we're probably involved in, 
you know, between 12 and 18 individual projects COVID-related or studies, I should call them. I call them projects, but they're really called studies. Got it. And you, I know we, I think we all know each other from the Young Presidents Organization and also known as YPO. And you have been very active in the social impact works. And, you know, social impact is clearly something that is important to you. How did that come about in your kind of work or in your life? What inspired you to think about impact investing and and think about how you could use your skills for good? To that, I would say that I come from a family of donors that giving was a, a joy for my father and grandfather. They were partners in business. And I remember being with them when they would be together to think about who they would donate to and how they would, much they would donate. And that's when I saw the most joy in them, much more than when they landed a good deal. It was fine. They made their deals and all that all the time. But when they sat together and said, okay, how much are we giving and who are we giving it to? That's where I saw happiness in them. And that's stuck with me. And that, that there is a definition of success that's beyond accumulation of wealth. And, you know, so for me, it's been my North Star, I guess. When you're integrating this into your work and probably gradually worked its way into your career, we're going to talk about the Knowledge Pledge a little bit later, which is maybe the, the most expressive aspect of, of that you know, social side of your of your work career. And in your businesses that you've had to date, have you ever seen unintended consequences you know, where something that you thought was going to be good ended up not being good? Well, certainly when you're in a business with um, a lot of employees and a lot of inventory, a lot of time your inventory is it's your friend and other times it's not your friend. So that's one thing about managing inventory is a, uh, I always found that to be the most challenging aspect of that business when I was in the inventory management. The larger the staff grew, the more I realized that there was processes needed to be. Sometimes I, I felt that my expectations were not, not always met and in terms of integrity. I, you know, I expected always a higher level of integrity and having people with integrity was, uh, was a, occasionally a challenge. Interestingly, just uh, the other day, three former managers of my business reached out to have a Zoom uh, cocktail. And these were people we worked together maybe 25 years ago, and they're still friends and they're still interested in having conversations and reaching out. So there's the, the good and bad. You know, I feel that the, when I asked them, so what, what kept them together and all that and, and, and what drew, drew them to my company then, they talked about the quality of people, but it was always hard to find the right people for every seat. So, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, impact however one defines it, is often expressed through people and also kind of alignment of their values. So that, that whether it's your business partners or your employees or your co-investors, I definitely see that be, to be the case. I would love to turn to the Knowledge Pledge. It's an, it's an exciting new project that you've been working on I, for a while now and are launching as we speak. It's inspired by the Giving Pledge and for those of our listeners that don't know, the Giving Pledge is a campaign founded f- by Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett to encourage wealth holders to contribute a majority of their capital to philanthropic causes. What is the, the Knowledge Pledge and also how does it relate to that concept of pledging like the Giving Pledge? In 2012, so it's not a brand new idea. In 2012, along with some other YPO members, we launched the Global Impact Initiative And that was to highlight and recognize members doing great things around the world. And that worked out very well. But then we realized we were just 
recognizing them, which was helpful to them when they were, you know, they could go back to their communities and say that they were recognized and had an award from YPO that was helpful to them. But we weren't doing much for them except for an article, a video and things like that. But as this crossroad came in the COVID years now that we we decided that we were there was more that could be done and we going beyond highlighting and recognizing we felt that we could do more for people so as we dug in and we said we could bring capital but capital is abundant there's a lot of capital out there chasing projects but we understood that knowledge as we had conversations with potential LP investors in in the Middle East and in family offices and all they talked about as capital not being that critical but if we brought know-how, that would be more important to them. That led us to saying, well, maybe that's the pillar we should be following, pursuing, organizing knowledge around the world and making it searchable. And, and the more we built on that idea, we got to where we would ask people to pledge something that would actually give them pleasure as opposed to parting with your money. Sometimes it's not, you know, you do it, but it, you, when you part with it, you don't get it right back. Whereas knowledge, when you start sharing it, it multiplies by itself because what you've given is like a seed that someone else can can actually water and grow. So you're contributing something that germinates and grows. And we feel that that that's enhances people's uh, legacy and also gives those knowledge givers a good sense of uh, self. So how does it work? We curate on both sides. So we curate people with knowledge from organizations like YPO, but not exclusively. We look at NGOs, uh, think tanks, other leadership organizations, and we don't have the requirement to be CEO or a certain age as YPO does. So we we look for knowledge, not the, the, the other criteria that YPO has. And assemble that into a, a database. So ultimately the database will be searchable and um, we assume AI will take over the job at some point to do the actual searching and and pinpointing those people. So on one hand, we'll have the knowledge aggregated and under a through technology. On the other hand, we partner with organizations like the World Food Program or the Rainforest Trust, for example, who would provide us with projects and then we vet them through our criteria and basically do a matchmaking, impact matchmakers. That's really what what we we are. The Knowledge Pledge recognizes knowledge, puts it together in a database and, and matches it with projects that we curate. That's in, in, incredible. And I, I think you're right. I mean, I think people fee- want to feel good and they do so by contributing beyond themselves. And that is one of the hallmarks of also successful leaders is the, the ability to contribute beyond themselves. When we spoke previously, I think you you mentioned um, something that I, I thought was re- really stood out, which was have a vision for the Knowledge Pledge that goes quite broad and isn't just targeting, you know, the kind of archetypical CEO that we would all maybe think of when we think about who could be the right person to help mentor. Can you talk about like the reach and and where you plan to go with the Knowledge Pledge and where maybe you even see it in five years from now? There are three layers to the Knowledge Pledge. One is that we will match, as I just described, match successful, knowledgeable people with projects that we identify, curate through institutions and so forth. That's one one aspect. The second one is that people will actually provide us with their own passion. Say, um, say uh, someone is, is interested in homelessness, for example, and they may want to create a form in YPO language around that. And we would organize people through our ecosystem to form a passion-driven 
forum. The third one is where I think there'll be a, what will be in a few years. We'd like to be at the, to have a seat at the table, to be invited to the most important discussions in the world. We think the world is led by governments. They're not in the, the governments and, and NATO and, and the UN and organizations like that are not always able to solve problems. They need knowledge from entrepreneurs. Uh, if you, you, you can see that just, for example, NASA has not been able to be as successful uh, with some of the program as, uh, you know, SpaceX has been, for example. So there, there is a need for feet on the ground, people who know how to do things, the, the, the doers, to get together and say, we can actually accomplish certain things at government. So down the road, we'd like to be invited to have seats at the table, bring our knowledgeable people to help solve, you know, large humanitarian and global issues. That's That would be where I'd like to see it go in 10 years. I want to dive into the knowledge pledges kind of platform that you're thinking about in terms of capturing this knowledge. I, I assume that beyond the mentoring you're looking at, I think you mentioned some kind of technology platform to capture. Are you thinking, did I have that right, first of all? Yes, you have it right. There there has to be, ultimately, this is where, where, where technology okay. will be. Are you planning on that being like something that's open to the public or is it going to be just for the people who are like participants in the knowledge pledge or vetted to get access to it? Yeah, I think we'll, 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 we'll have to answer with the latter at the moment, but it will be for the ecosystem. Think of it this way, an NGO or Clinton Global Initiative or, or some, some, some initiative looking to fulfill a particular need in knowledge, they would access, have access. So whether it's a licensing or whether how that's done, I don't know. We decided not to be thinking about the business model right now, just to develop, 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 and then we'll figure out the, the business model. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I think about a couple things. First of all, the first two things that come to my mind with this is Wikipedia, right? Where, yep. you know, that's more of a factual, it's not organized around problem sets. It's organized just around facts and people and places and stuff. And so if you think about a wiki, it could be an interesting way to tackle it. But then I also think about like GitHub, you know, and how open source projects become a part of the world, right? And the general licensing that's available under, there actually are frameworks for this that are used in open source software. And, you know, there are certain restrictions. You can, you can use this code unlimited as long as you don't sell it to somebody else with, you know, as long as you make it free to the next people, if you modify it and so on and so forth. And so I'm thinking like, gosh, there's got to be some people somewhere who figured out how to make a really inexpensive rural water well, right? Or solar well. Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. why should somebody else who wants to solve that problem have to go and figure it all out again? It's like that wheel gets created over and over again. And if it was just available to everybody in the world, you know, it doesn't matter if you're up in far northern Canada or down in southern Peru or up in the mountains of the Andes or in Africa, you could get access to some of these simple solutions, some of them may be designs or, or other ones may be processes or systems that have been sort of solved for. That's amazing. You know, sometimes we think of it as Google, you go to Google to do a search for information and information is there. But knowledge is different than information. Once we are able to, and, and the technology is not that complicated, we can do that. We have spoken with AI gurus and what we are thinking about is definitely doable. We just need to get scale to make sure our ecosystem grows. So that way we have access to some of the great minds around the world. That's why we decided to be with YPO, but also other organizations in order to assemble a lot of different minds and then constantly ask questions so we get to know more about them. And once we have the information, we believe that there'll be a use for it. I mean, I'd probably put the knowledge on a blockchain where 
you know, it, it would be a decentralized system so that it would be just like Bitcoin. Anybody can download and operate a node of Bitcoin. Anybody could download and operate a node of the of the knowledge. If you if you centralize it, then that's kind of like the, you know, the famous library of Alexandria that burns down. You know, once it goes dark, mm-hmm. it goes dark. But if you decentralize it in a sort of system similar to, you know, Bitcoin, there's there's plenty of you don't have to build your own. There's plenty of them that already exist that you could use. Mm-hmm. That would and I know didn't we meet through blockchain? Of course we did. Of course we did. I know we're <laughs> so so. I would love to be involved in that part of it. If you end up getting into the technology side of it, that would be really cool. I think it'd be a cool project. Yes, we we ought to talk about that. There is definitely an application through uh, through blockchain. There is I, I I think of it as steps. So ecosystem is the sort of the broad broad group. So we need to find enough reasons for people to join us. Then there are signatories of the pledge, those who are actually doing something, you know, they're either matching, being matched with a project or not. And then there's the technology piece that comes once we have some level of mass. It could be the most important repository of human knowledge in history. I certainly agree. I did just want to throw in a a trend and kind of a future trend in the impact investing industry is also tokenizing impact yes. and creating a market around it. As somebody who also appreciates blockchain and de- decentralized systems as well, I mean, that is at least at Beyond Capital, we're working on trying to ver- independently verify our impact with the hope that in the future, this might this is definitely not my next fund, but maybe fund two, fund three, there can be a tokenization of impact, that there is a true value around what impact is. And similarly, I could see that happening here with knowledge. It's really exciting. You guys are avant-garde and, and innovate, innovators. So you're like a dynamo entrepreneur. You've got all kinds of things you've done successful. You're making this incredible push towards this repository of human knowledge. How do you fuel yourself? You know, what motivates you? I like to go beyond my comfort zone. I like to go and touch the gray the line of where I haven't been. And so each one of them, if you look back at the track, everything I've done was taking it to a place where I hadn't been before. And I don't know why that is. I can't really understand it myself, but why would I want to go and outside of the, the healthcare sector now, for example, because I kind of know that now, or when I knew something about apparel, why would I go to do something else? But so there's always this connection about doing something that I didn't have, didn't know uh, much about and then build the knowledge around it. But I think is. um I don't feel that I'm the end all in any of this is like, I, I think I, I'm successful based on the success of the people who I bring together. They're a, they make something successful. I feel that I'm the process guy. I bring like you today, you just brought some ideas about taking it, putting it on a blockchain and tokenizing the impact. All of those are, I would reach out and bring you in and see how we can develop that together. And that becomes how I Lab Connect became successful and uh, Global Impact in YPO was successful. And I hope the Knowledge Pledge will be successful by, with the strength of everyone who works on it. Let's move into the lightning round. Alan, this is just meant for us to get to know you also more personally, but just quick snippets. So I would love to start with what book is on your nightstand right now? The I'm in mean, the Infinite Game uh, by Simon Sinek. How's yeah, that? I've heard of that one. Very practical uh, ideas and a very a lot of inspirations uh, for operating good behaviors and, and running a business. And so 
I thought I was done reading books about business. I went uh, a year ago when I said, well, this is, a, I didn't have to start a new project. I, I have plenty to do and uh, I live on a big farm and there's a, a, a lot that I could be doing. But I, 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 so business books were kind of off my table, engaging in more geopolitical reading and that kind of thing. And now I'm back to, I don't know why, but because it's just, there's now, I'm assembling a team. We're 12 already at the Knowledge Pledge. And so it's growing and therefore I have to, you know, sharpen my tools again. What is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? I'm drinking tea these days. I haven't had a cup of coffee in uh, several years. That's impressive. Name something that's giving you hope right now. I'm an optimist. So I think while the country is going through all these uh, different political scenarios and things that are not, don't seem to be working well, lack of, a, of, of leadership in our government in some ways, I am an optimist that the, the, we will prevail as a country, as people. We will overcome the challenges we've been facing. My hope is that we reestablish and reinstate our position of strength in the world and respect. So do you have a favorite resource for staying up to date on current events, like a podcast, a website, a newsletter? I listen to Sam Harris. I listen to Dimitri Kofinas. These are my walks in the morning. I take a long walks for about an hour or so in my out here in the fields and trails. And that's when I listen to my podcasts. And so that's those are the two that I think about. The Monk Report, I, I also... I'm a huge Sam Harris fan. And if you don't know... Dimitri Kofinas, he's something, he does a great job. I had him over when I I ran the blockchain uh, event in Washington a few years ago. He was one of our resources. We flew him in. So he he goes all over from blockchain to government, to politics, to the economy. That's a good one to know. What is the best way for you to unwind after a long day and, you know, the intensity of your work and the many different things you have going on? I have a rule, by the way, that's... My rule is don't have a drink unless there are three people in a room. So I don't open a bottle of wine or have a drink just as a go-to because it's the end of the day and I've had a lot of calls and all that. It's it's my way of, of creating some balance. So I don't have drinks. Only when, so I, occasionally, I'll, of course I do when I have friends, but not as a regular course. So what I, I see the sun starts to set and everything turns orange and purple around me. I, I go out and I just go sit, maybe sometimes listening to something on, on or just being out there. I live in nature, so I enjoy nature. So I'll go out and sit in, out and look at the sunset. Last question on the on the rapid round and wrapping up today's incredible interview. What is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? The advice would be form a board early. I didn't do that. I thought I could handle whatever came at me. I was young, always on the go. If I were to be 20 and uh, and was in in, in a position of, of, of uh, launching a business or being in a business, I would bring advisors early to the table. That took me several years before I, started, I realized that. But from, I don't know, the age of 30 to 50, I had an advisor every month at my at my table. Every month, this person would come, we'd sit half a day, we'd go over... And he would beat me up, you know, why are we signing a new lease or why did we buy this building or, you know, giving me, you know, tell me why we're doing what we're doing. So I didn't always have the discipline to, uh, to have the why, but I always would think about uh, Harry. Like, what would he say if I, if he, and if he knew that I, <laughs> I put an LOI down on, on something or whatever it was. So to have advisors early, I think that would, that's what I, I recommend to my son. My son is, in, you know, soon early on, I think it must have been early 
late late teens or so he started having mentors and um, he's always had mentors now he's in forums but they, you know, but that's that's part of the culture this is one of the things that you know as we all get more wise we we begin to realize that the more you ask for help the smarter you are and for some reason <laughs> when we're younger we think that it's the opposite of that you're yeah. so right about that yes that's exactly <laughs> how i felt it's- It's invaluable advice. And with that, Alain, I would like to thank you so much for being our guest today. It is always a pleasure for me to see Ed's entrepreneurial wheels spin. And he was spinning on this episode for sure (laughs) with, uh, you know, getting deep into the business model and just the model around the knowledge pledge and just having you describe your work and your passion, I know has inspired a number of our listeners and we're grateful for your time to share that with us. Thank you. It was a privilege. I enjoyed being with you. Thanks, Alana. It was really, really great. So great to spend this time with you and best of luck on all these amazing projects, especially the Knowledge Pledge. Look forward to connecting again about the blockchain ideas. And Let's do it. I don't have enough on my plate. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I just sign up for whatever's interesting and I find the time. That's my formula. All right. Good philosophy. That's a good strategy. There. All right, take care, guys. All right, bye-bye. Thank you. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.